This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Tom Hartman program, the David Pakman show, the Young Turks, the Rachel Maddow show, and the Majority Report. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode may not be appropriate for those conservatives who are faint of heart. You know, the president, President Obama, just won re-election to the White House with a margin of about 51% of the popular vote. This is about the same number he won by in 2008. The last president to win both election and re-election by 51% or greater was Dwight D. Eisenhower in 1952 and 56. So apparently both Obama and Eisenhower were doing something right that a clear majority of the American people liked. But what could that be? We're all pretty familiar with the platform on which Obama won re-election. You know, every, every, you know everybody knows what he was running on. He was, we're going to protect the unions. We're going to raise taxes on the rich. We're going to protect the environment. We're going to, you know, it's pretty, pretty straightforward stuff. What about Eisenhower? How did he get that big a landslide for re-election? I mean, this is after, as a Republican, he'd been governing for four years. So people knew who he was and what he was all about. Well, there's, you know, not a lot of news reporters around who were back reporting on the news in 1956, but it is possible to pull out the Republican Party's platform of 1956 and read it, and it tells you everything you need to know. It's pretty straightforward. They started out by noting that the Republican Party in 1956 was in support of all the people, not just the millionaires and the corporations. They, they said, quote, our government was created by the people for all the people, and it must serve no less a purpose. We are proud of and shall continue our, our far-reaching and sound advances in matters of basic human needs, expansion of social security, broadened coverage in unemployment insurance, improved housing, and better health protection for all our people. We are determined that our government remain warmly responsive to the urgent social and economic problems of our people. End of quote from the Republican 1956 platform on which Ike ran and with which he won this very significant election, just like Obama did. Ike and his Republican buddies also liked the idea of being part of an international peacekeeping body. They wrote on their platform, we shall continue vigorously to support the United Nations. Really? Somebody tell John Bolton? When it comes to working people, the Republicans back in the 50s knew that, as they wrote in their party's platform, quote, government must have a heart as well as a head. That meant, they said, support for working people. They, they wrote into the 1956 Republican Party platform. Under the Republican administration, as our country has prospered, so have its people. This is as it should be, for as President Eisenhower said, quote, quote within a quote, labor is the United States. The men and women who with their minds, their hearts, and hands create the wealth that is shared in this country they are America. Now, isn't that, I mean, Republicans all over the country right now listening to this program, their heads must be exploding. What? 
The working people are who create the wealth. They're the job creators. What? They are America? What? I thought they were scum of the earth. They're just union leeches who are... Yeah. Okay, here it continues. This from the Republican Party platform, 1956. You can look it up. It's online. The record of performance of the Republican administration on behalf of our working men and women goes still further. The federal minimum wage has been raised for more than 2 million workers. What? Republicans bragging about raising the minimum wage? Get me some smelling salts. Social Security. I'm, I'm quoting from their platform. Social Security has been extended to an additional 10 million workers, and the benefits raised for 6.5 million. What? You don't want to cut Social Security? You raise the benefits? The protection, again, back to reading from the Republican Party platform, 1956. Every Republican in the country ran on this platform including and especially the President of the United States, Dwight Eisenhower. The protection of unemployment insurance has been brought to 4 million additional workers. What? You expanded unemployment? Well, wait a minute. John Boehner, Eric Cantor, Mitch McConnell, they forced President Obama to cut long-term unemployment benefits from 99 weeks down to 74 weeks last year in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. I thought Republicans were supposed to be opposed to unemployment benefits. Well, not in 1956. Back when the Republicans used to win elections. The Republican Party in 1956 set out goals for the next four years in their party platform. They included, again, quoting from the party platform, word for word. Two, these are efforts two, and these are kind of like bulleted points, right? Continue and further perfect its program of assistance to the millions of workers with special employment problems such as older workers, handicapped workers, members of minority groups, and migratory workers. What? You want to help? Protect by law the assets of employee welfare and benefit plans so that workers who are the beneficiaries can be assured of their rightful benefits. What? You mean Bain Capital can't bankrupt a company and steal their pension plans? This is not Republican. Extend the protection of the federal minimum wage laws to as many more workers as is possible and practicable. What? Republicans are in favor of the minimum wage. They raise the minimum What? Continue to fight for the elimination of discrimination in employment because of race, creed, color, national origin, ancestry, or sex. What? Women and men, you're, how can you call yourselves Republicans? And then here's the, this is the killer. Republican Party Platform 1956. The protection of the right of workers to organize into unions and to bargain collectively is the firm and permanent policy of the Eisenhower administration. End of quote. The Republicans in 1956 would not have recognized the war on women being waged by the troglodytes in today's party. They support an Equal Rights Amendment, which still hasn't passed saying in their party platform, we recommend to Congress the submission of a constitutional amendment providing equal rights for men and women. End quote. They also knew how to stimulate the economy by, quote, launching the 10-year, $785 million Mission 66 Parks Improvement Program. Again, right out of their party platform. In the spirit of Teddy Roosevelt, instead of privatizing government assets, they were expanding government land. They bragged that they had, quote, added more than 400,000 acres to our national park system and 90,000 acres to wildlife refuges 
and are working to protect reserved areas of all types and to provide increased staffs and operating funds for public recreation agencies. What? We're supposed to be cutting those sluggards who work in our national parks. They're government employees. Don't you know that? Eisenhower and his party in 1956, they got it that America is actually a center-left nation. And so they supported many of those positions. As Eisenhower, as President Eisenhower wrote in a letter to his brother Edgar in 1954, should any political party attempt to abolish Social Security, unemployment insurance, and eliminate labor laws and farm programs, you would not hear of that party again in our political history. There's a tiny splinter group, of course, that believes you can do these things. Among them are H.L. Hunt. You possibly know his background. A few other Texas oil millionaires and an occasional politician or businessman from other areas. Their number is negligible and they are stupid. End of quote from Dwight Eisenhower's letter to his brother Edgar in 1954 when he was president of the United States. It looks like that negligible number of stupid people has taken over today's Republican Party led by the Hunt Brothers' successors, the Koch Brothers. So the question for today is the Republican Party fighting, infighting, spills over onto the national stage, is whether they'll go back to the center-left positions of Eisenhower and start winning elections again, or if they'll double down on stupid to satisfy the Kochs, the Adelsons, the Murdochs, and the Limbaughs of their party. What do you think is going to happen? I'm betting they're going to double down on stupid, because that's where the money's coming from. The people funding them are what they're going to double down on. Said if you're going to play the game, boy, you got to learn to play it right. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. When the dealing's done I was watching Fox News the other day, Fox so-called news, which I do just as a kind of exercise in investigation and figuring out what's going on, and goes to commercial, and I see an advertisement on Fox News for the Obamacare Survival Guide, and it advertised a website. Now, I'm going to tell you the website because I want you to look at it. I realize that maybe I'm giving this more promotion than it merits. I really doubt anyone's going to buy this on my say-so. In fact, I'm, I'm ridiculing the thing. Highly unlikely. The website is Obamacare 911. So I went to the website. This is the epitome of fear-mongering and making money off of fear and off, off stupidity. You go onto the website, and basically they're selling for $4.95 plus shipping and handling, which is about another $4, the Obamacare Survival Guide. And it says, are you prepared to survive Obamacare? Warning, what you don't know about Obamacare could hurt you. Uh, and... It says that in the book you're going to find all sorts of stuff written in simple language. Because, of course, Lewis, if you're going to sell something that's, that's uh, uh, going to be specifically targeted at people who would be susceptible to those fear tactics, it had better be written in simple language, ladies and gentlemen. That they are doing right. They are using the right type of language. And without there. nuance. And without nuance. And it talks about how to survive Obamacare's threats to Medicare, your responsibilities and potential penalties under the new laws, a new excise tax on Cadillac health plans, a new Obamacare capital gains tax, which begins in 2013, adding a 4% surcharge on certain income groups. Now, here's the thing. This is tied in with Newsmax. 
and you actually get some great bonus gifts. If you pay the nine bucks for the Obamacare Survival Guide, written in simple language, ladies and gentlemen, you get two bonus gifts. One, one is two months of Health Radar, the popular health advisory newsletter from Newsmax. Okay, and your other bonus gift is three months of Newsmax magazine. Just so you know, to make it easy for you, they'll continue billing you for your Newsmax Max subscription on an ongoing basis, unless you don't want that. What That's nice deal. of them. Yes, because again, simple language means it's probably better just to bill you, and then you cancel if you don't want. We're we're in a very very bad place. Yeah, when things had to be have to be advertised as being written in simple language. Right. The target market here, I understand. It's they go to Fox News because it's conservatives, but it's more than that. It's stupid conservatives. Who else would buy this? There's plenty of free. It, let's assume. Let let's assume that they're being honest and saying, Obamacare is complex, and it's good to have a guide for it. There's plenty of free guides, including one provided by the government, which in very simple language says, "What does this mean for the plan I have now?" What is the penalty for not having coverage? The guides exist, so this is marketing to stupid conservatives. That that I think, Natan, do you agree that's the target market here? Absolutely. I mean, the policies that uh, the Affordable Care Act includes in its major provisions are conservative ideas that came out of the Heritage Foundation and other <laughs> Republican thinkers. So, yeah. if it were if it were truly marketed towards conservatives, it would be a how to implement. Obamacare, not, yeah, it was their idea not how to survive it. Yeah, if if you look at this and you really think to yourself, there's got to be something in this pamphlet that people really don't know about, <laughs> right. that no one else really knows. I really need this valuable information. I'm going to pay nine bucks. Wow, it we're we're really regressing as a country, aren't we? Well, yes and no. Yeah, yes and no. The fact that this makes money. Obama got re uh, Obama got elected, then he got elected again. It's That's right. It's it's fraction. It's uh, compartmentalized. Right. We have areas that are regressing. Yeah, and, and, I, I just want to point out. The fact that Obamacare w was passed, was declared constitutional by the Supreme Court, far outweighs this 495 book <laughs> on Obamacare911.com. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. If nothing else, we can take some comfort in that. Frank Luntz is the top pollster for the Republicans. He's their wordsmith. He's the guy that plays with the words and tells you what works and doesn't work. There was a shocking moment uh, a couple of months ago, where, uh, or a little longer than that, uh, when he uh, came out and said, yeah, you know what's interesting? Capitalism is not testing well. Uh, so let's stay away from that word, which was an amazing moment. And he said, there are so many different things that used to work for the Republicans in terms of language that were just not working anymore. Basically, what had happened was the American people had caught on to the flim-flam scam that the Republican Party has been running. So their bottom line is they want tax cuts for the rich. So they have to keep reinventing words that, keep getting, uh, that the American people keep getting wise to for tax cuts for the rich, for greed. Uh, oh, it's you know great libertarian principles and freedom and economic freedom. He's like, that's not even testing well anymore. We even used up economic freedom. So now he's on Fox News again, and he's saying something interesting about another set of words that aren't working. Let's watch. 
So you believe the error is smaller government. The adjustment should be more effective and efficient government. Why are those words so much more important? Because the American people don't care what the size of government is. They do care what types of services government gives and, quite frankly, how much government takes. And so that's important in this tax debate. Wow, that's amazing, man. That is their top wordsmith. He's been controlling the dialogue from the Republican side for several decades now, saying we've lost the fight on smaller government. The American people don't necessarily want smaller government. They want efficient government, effective government. That's exactly right. Who's been telling you that? I've been saying that for 10 years. The American people are on our side and they're tired of this nonsense about, well, so smaller government is always better. No, it's not. It depends. It depends. Do you want more teachers? I don't know. How many students do you have? Do you need more cops? I don't know. How much crime do you have? How much of a defense budget do you need? Well, it depends on the situation, doesn't it? Are you in a war? Are you not in a war? Who are you fighting against? So this idea that the government must always be smaller has been defeated. And the top Republican posters in the country is saying, we have lost. We have, tried to, we have to find a different way to try to trick the American people into voting for less spending for the middle class and more tax cuts for the rich. Later in the segment, he talked about other words that should be replaced. He said, stop talking about capping spending. That is not polling well. You need to start talking about controlling spending. That polls better. Look at that, man. It's all marketing. They take what they want, their objective, and they try to find the best words, and they poll, and they poll, and they test all these things until they get to the result that they want. It gets better. They say, stop talking about tax reform. That's not playing well either. These are their go-to moves for the last 20, 30, 40 years. They're saying, all right, well, so we're going to have to switch that before we used to trick people by saying, oh, I'm not asking for tax cuts for rich and corporations. I'm just asking for tax reform. Well, they're not buying it anymore, so the new words are, we want taxes that are simpler, flatter, and fairer. Now, are they actually fairer? No, they actually shift the taxes more onto the middle class by cutting the top bracket taxes. That's the taxes the Republican Party and Frank Luntz is pushing for. Is it fairer? No. Is it simpler? No. But it doesn't matter. Just call it that. <laughs> and my favorite part. They want to cut Social Security and Medicare. There's no question about that. That is the main thing that they're asking President Obama to give in on in their rounds of negotiations over the budget. right? But you don't want to say you're cutting Social Security and Medicare because that would be deeply unpopular. So saying, instead of saying we should control or limit the growth of those programs, which is what the Republicans have been saying, you should start saying that we are saving and strengthening entitlement programs. How? By cutting them. So take, since you've run out of all words on your side, take the exact opposite of what you are doing, a more unfair tax, and cutting Social Security, and call it a fairer tax and strengthening Social Security. And you will hear those words. They don't do these polls for nothing. You will hear them from the Republican side. They will talk about, oh, how we are. What we want to do is save Social Security. We want to strengthen Medicare. And every time they say that, remember what they actually mean cut Social Security and Medicare. And unfortunately, since President Obama largely agrees with them on that count, you will hear him using similar language. So when either side, when the politicians start talking about protecting and saving and strengthening Social Security and Medicare, grab your wallet because they're coming to get your money. That's what's happening. And Frank Luntz explains it. JR. Possibly unrelated, but um, 
Frank Lutz needs to do some polls about wearing that goatee and beard because I don't think that's going to work. You can't convince people. I mean, there's, a, there's an idea. <laughs> First thing I saw was, whoa. No, 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 no. That's hilarious that you point that out because Frank Lutz is an excellent embodiment of the Republican message. That is the fakest toupee in history. Everybody's known for last, the last 20, 30 years that he's wearing an awful toupee, right? But what is he doing? He's covering up the reality with a really bad toupee of his hair. In the reality, Frank Luntz is bold, but it's not bold. Being bold doesn't pull well. So he gets a toupee instead. Now, to be fair to Frank, his toupee has improved. In the past, it was ridiculous. It would nearly fall off his head. Now all Republican money will buy you a slightly better toupee. Give me a head with hair, long, beautiful hair, shining, gleaming, streaming, flaxing, waxing. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. New York City, the New York City area, has two football teams. One of them is pretty good. Uh, they won the Super Bowl this past year. The other New York team is not good. Uh, they are called the Jets. They wear green. And even the people who like them now show up at their games wearing homemade jerseys that say this. Butt fumble. Uh, this refers to the Jets quarterback, who is very handsome, uh, shown here modeling with his shirt off for GQ. Uh, in his day job, when he's not modeling, he is supposed to be playing football. And last weekend, he was holding the ball. He was trying to run down the field. And he inexplicably ran into the butt of one of his own teammates. Boom. And kind of knocked himself out and fell down and dropped the ball. And the other team picked up the ball and ran it in for a touchdown. Hence, the butt fumble. The Jets are just not a good football team this year. You can address your hate mail to me at rachel at msnbc.com. I will tell you, the auto-reply you will get will include the word butt fumble, so just be prepared. Now, the owner of the butt fumblers is a man named Woody Johnson. Woody Johnson was the New York chairman of Mitt Romney's presidential campaign this year. And today, Woody Johnson hosted a lunch meeting in Manhattan for dozens of New York-area Republican bundlers, big-time Republican donors, to talk about what went wrong this year, what went wrong with their party's effort to retake the White House. The audience for their venting about that was Reince Priebus, who attended the meeting. Mr. Priebus is the Republican Party's chairman. It was his RNC that hired the firm run by the guy who'd been accused in the past of voter registration improprieties to run the Republicans' voter registration efforts in five swing states. When that firm, run by that guy with the shady past in the voter registration business, was inevitably accused of doing shady things this year with voter registration, the Republican Party in all of those states had to fire the firm, which meant ending voter registration in those five crucial swing states in the final crucial weeks before the election. There was no plan B. Thanks, Reince. The Republicans just had to give up registering voters in those states. Reince Priebus's leadership of the RNC. So maybe that came up in today's meeting. 
Also potentially on the menu today, the RNC's field program, part of the overall Mitt Romney ground game effort that was just swamped this year. The Republicans' get-out-the-vote technology crashed early on Election Day. One campaign official telling the Daily Beast, quote, pretty much everything about the system that was supposed to work actually failed. So these dozens of big-time Republican donors meeting today to talk about what went wrong. And Reince Priebus is there to listen, to listen to them vent about what went wrong. But his answer to all their complaints is, let's do it all again! Because Reince Priebus, after all he did this disastrous election cycle, wants to be re-elected as RNC chairman. He was trying to shore up that re-election effort by meeting with these dozens of Republican owners today, including the uh, do Republican donors today, including um, the owner of the butt fumblers here in New York City. Meanwhile, the Washington Post reporting today on the other guy who is responsible for the Republicans' very bad election year, reporting that Mitt Romney is mostly living in La Jolla now in Southern California and is suffering from, quote, sustained boredom. Speaking of board, Mr. Romney has been put back on the board of the Marriott Corporation. He's subletting a private equity office from one of his sons, apparently. But while Republicans try to figure out what went wrong with their hopes for getting back in the White House, what about the guy who more or less came in second to Mitt Romney this year? There's news on him today. He has taken a job as a columnist for WorldNet Daily. You might remember WorldNet Daily as the birther website. That has not worked out all that well for them lately, so WorldNet Daily has branched out. Uh, these days, WorldNet Daily is your one-stop shop for a whole host of new conspiracy theories about President Obama. They've been uh, pushing the theory that not only is um, President Obama secretly foreign, but he's also secretly gay. And he used to be secretly married in college, probably secretly gay married. And he maybe secretly murdered his secret gay ex-boyfriend. And his wedding ring proves that he's secretly Muslim. WorldNet Daily also has a superstore for all your conspiracy-related safety and self-defense shopping needs. For example, you can buy a how-to DVD called Defensive Cane Fighting, where you apparently learn to ward off would-be knife-wielding attackers with your cane. You can also buy a radiation-detecting sticker to keep with you for any future radiation emergency. Got your sticker? Or maybe you're in the market for a flashlight that doubles as a tool for field stripping a Glock handgun. That's what's going on at WorldNet Daily these days. This week, a WorldNet Daily columnist is writing about how a new secessionist party could help white Americans start a new country. He rails about, quote, the U.S. bifactional ruling party's hatred and contempt for white Americans who still hold to traditional values, believe in their constitutional liberties, and derive their sense of identity from historical America. They mock the secessionist petitioners in Texas and other states, celebrate the infestation of even the smallest American heartland towns by African, Asian, and Aztec cultures, and engage in ruthless doublethink as they worship at the altar of a false and entirely non-existent equality. So Mitt Romney has landed bored at his La Jolla mansion. That's the one that's going to have the car elevators, but they're not there yet, so it's still boring. But the guy who essentially came in second to Mitt Romney this year, the guy who was the runner-up in the Republican Party's efforts to pick their nominee, the guy who could have been Mitt Romney if for some reason it didn't work out for Mitt Romney, he landed at WorldNet Daily. He's going to be doing a regular column for WorldNet Daily, sharing space with the white secession guy. We have a two-party system in this country. And that is what half of our two-party system is. That is half of what is supposed to be plausible in American politics. Rick Santorum 
at WorldNetDaily. Also, cane fighting! You're wrong about virtues of Christianity. And you're wrong if you agree with Sean Hannity. If you think that pride is about nationality, you're wrong. You're wrong when you imprison people turning tricks. And you're wrong about trickle-down economics. If you think that punk rock doesn't mix with politics, you're wrong. You're wrong for hating queers and eating steers if you kill for the thrill of the hunt. And coming on the heels of this uh, polling, which shows that the Republican Party is considered broken or lost or bad. How do you like to be described? When, you're, when your political party is just being described as bad, you know you've got a problem. So Roll Call reports that on Wednesday, yesterday, there was a meeting of the Republican Study Committee. I don't know what the Republican Study Committee is. I guess they get around, uh, they gather around a uh, circle and talk about how the world is only 6,000 years old and all this uh, Darwinism stuff is really a crock. But um, it became heated over the recent removal of four Republicans from Plum Committee spots. You'll recall we reported on this uh, last week. Culminating in a key lawmaker explaining why it happened. Lynn Westmoreland of Georgia, a staunch conservative who sits on the Republican Steering Committee, that made the decision to remove the lawmakers. At the time, it was reported that Bonaire kicked these uh, lawmakers off the committees. He probably did, but only at uh, the behest of the Steering Committee which is why he could get away with it. It was being reported as getting rid of, of, of Tea Party members. And Wismoreland told uh, Congressional Quarterly Roll Call in a phone interview, what I tried to explain to them was it didn't have anything to do with your voting record, some type of scorecard, your work across the street or anything else. By across the street, he's talking about the national... Um, the National Republican Congressional Campaign Committee. In other words, how much money have you raised? Have you hit your goals to raise money for the uh, National Republican Campaign Committee? Didn't have to do with your work across the street or anything else. It had to do with your ability to work within the system and try to work. And to be, I guess, constructive in things. And I said, I guess you could say it was an asshole factor. Westmoreland went on to say, now, I wasn't calling any member in particular an asshole. I was just trying to describe an environment where some people that you're trying to work with, they just don't want to work within the system. In other words, I was calling them assholes. <laughs> and no one wants to go to work with a bunch of assholes. Westmoreland later expressed regret for using that language, saying, maybe I should have used obstinate factor. He also praised Representative Walter B. Jones of North Carolina specifically. Now, I mentioned when Walter Jones was taken off these uh, committees that he was still in hot water with Republicans for being so anti-war during the uh, Bush administration. 
Westmoreland says, I love Walter Jones. He's one of the nicest, most sincere, honest people up here. However, he's come under fire from leadership from criticizing the GOP from the left. So it's not that, um, I guess it was just uh, those other three, Camp, Justin Amish, and David Schweikart of Arizona, who were the a-holes. Walter Jones was just not sufficiently conservative enough, even though the story we were sold is that these guys were too conservative and this is a strike against the Tea Party. Yes, it was just a strike against the a-hole party. Nobody likes you. Leave. So uh, Republicans now publicly calling each other a-holes. Were you born an asshole? Or did you work it in your whole life? Either way, it worked out fine. Because you're an asshole tonight. Yes, you're an A-S-S-H-O-L-E. And don't you try to blame it on me. All the credit You're an asshole tonight I have a study here, a new study, which says only 6% of scientists identify themselves as Republicans. 100% of Republicans have no idea why this is true. This is, this is one of these things we've been talking about for a while, which is why do so few scientists identify as Republicans? Is it that if you believe in science... By definition, you are already not a Republican, and therefore you are interested in going into those fields. Or is it that people going into science are basically divided in the same way that the general population is in terms of political leanings, and once they become science professionals, whatever is colloquially referred to as a scientist, they stop being Republicans? I think it's probably a combination of both. Definitely a combination, yeah. Um, we have a situation where... 55% of scientists identify as Democrats, 6% as Republicans, and the rest either non-political or independent of some kind. And I think it has to do really with, it's not about politics. I really don't believe that this is about politics. I believe it's, there is one party that accepts scientific findings when there is a consensus on everything from global warming to evolutionary theory to how do you and how don't you prevent pregnancy. And the reality is life is not completely black and white. It is not totally binary in the sense that you are either uh, you either have a worldview that clearly is democratic or republican, although on some issues it certainly is. But in this context, in the context of science, we do have a very binary situation. Democratic politicians tend to be on the side of believing that tax cuts on the rich do not actually help the economy, that climate change exists and it very well may be connected to the activity of human beings on this planet, that uh, rape does cause pregnancy, it doesn't uh, just get shut down in some way, right? And the Republican Party has opposite beliefs. It seems very binary to me where these things are not open to opinion. I guess, though, if you were to ask Republicans about this, they would say all of those things have dissenting views. Yeah, but they're the extreme minority, right? I mean, that, that's, that's how I would counter. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, I mean, does, does intelligence factor into this? We've talked about that. I mean, Natan, how, how would you put in all of these factors together? 
Well, since we're not talking about the general population, we're just talking about scientists. Right. And I assume that we're talking about like hard scientists, like biologists and chemists, and not all academics, right? We're talking about climatologists. We're talking about archaeologists. I mean, I think this right. is, it's a pretty broad scope. I think that you could easily find within those groups uh, a lot of people who believe in low taxes and fiscal conservatism and even potentially on some social issues, they have pretty conservative views. But they just perceive correctly, I think, that the Republican Party is against uh, the scientific consensus because they want to appeal to a very anti-intellectual base of voters that increasingly are almost all of their voters. And the right wing would do what, Lewis? They would basically attack the beliefs as partisan, right? I mean, is that the defense? That's usually it, yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't really... Uh, how far does that really go, right? I mean, how far could, will, will people really believe that a difference of opinion on a 99-to-1 basis on climate change is simply the 99% is totally partisan. I don't know. People who think it's all part of some giant global scheme to, uh, to do what? I don't know, but it's a, it's a scheme. Maybe so. Science is real from the pair of Republican legislators in Mississippi have a novel solution to the possibility of future gun control legislation, other types of legislation coming out of the federal government. Uh, they're going to be trying to form a joint legislative committee on the neutralization of federal law. Uh, and we've got some interesting oh, quotes great. on that. Every, every time the conservatives start talking about neutralization, I wish that they had studied a little bit more during social studies class. Um, so I think maybe they did, and they thought, yeah, that worked out well. Yeah, at, at one point, <laughs> it briefly worked out until it was eventually struck down. Right. Uh, but let's start with um, what they, they proposed to do. This is from the Mississippi Balance of Powers Act. Uh, the provisions of this act shall serve as a notice and demand to the federal government to cease and desist any and all activities outside the scope of its designated constitutionally enumerated powers and that attempt to diminish the balance of powers as established. The committee will be allowed to review any and all existing federal statutes, mandates, and executive orders for the purpose of determining their constitutionality. And they go on to say, any measure, measure that is found to be beyond the scope and power assigned to the federal government under Article I of the United States Constitution or in direct violation of the Mississippi Constitution of 1890 may be recommended for neutralization by the simple majority vote of each house of the Mississippi State Legislature. What a uh, wonderful look, fantasy land they live in. Yeah, so we tried this, you guys tried to secede before, and you got your ass handed to you, yeah. okay? And we lost, what, 600,000 people when you guys did, did 500, it? 500, more like. Yeah, okay, around 500,000. That's enough, okay. I think. Yeah, I think, that, I think that ought to do it, okay? Now, you want to get your ass kicked again, okay? You losers. Is that what you want? <laughs> okay, and you unpatriotic, un-American uh, people who are traitors to this country. You know, so you were traitors before, and we had to kick your ass back in the line. You want to do it again? Look, I, I love every part of this country. I go to the South all the time. I've been to Mississippi. I've enjoyed your casinos. <laughs> okay, and 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 I love I like Mississippi. And there's, of course, a great majority of the people in Mississippi are not on board for this. 
And look, it's the politicians, and they're trying to rile people up. They're trying to demagogue, etc. Right? But come on, man, to go down. You're in the South, and you're going to go down in this ridiculous federal. We're going to neutralize federal laws route again. Yeah. Again. Like, like you did in the 1950s when Eisenhower sent troops to Mississippi and Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, what happened then? Okay. You look like you're a national embarrassment, and because you were, in fact, you were a worldwide embarrassment to the point. That we that you ha that you had to change your ways because you were it was immoral and it was sickening and it was wrong and we sent the national guard and and you didn't win I know you're bitter and again I'm talking about the minority of conservatives there who never ever yeah. let it go remember that in the Republican primaries about a quarter of Mississippi Republican voters said that uh, interracial marriage should be illegal. Illegal, not frowned upon, not I don't like it, it should be illegal. Yeah. I'm talking about those guys, okay? You lost, you're gonna lose again, you keep losing because you're a loser, and I guess it makes you incredibly bitter, and you say, oh wow, I don't need the rest of the U.S. Are you kidding me? Without the rest of the U.S., <laughs> you would be Just lucky to be Guatemala. You would be thrilled to be in Guatemala's position, okay? Mississippi, come on. My, my family's from Arkansas, and the saying in Arkansas is, thank God for Mississippi. And I'm sure they have that same saying in Alabama and other places, because Mississippi's at the bottom of every health and welfare index in the United States. Yeah. You are the butt end of the United States of America. And you're going to challenge the head, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got this thing figured out down here. I don't think so, okay? Now, it's not to say the federal government does everything right. Of course not. We challenge the federal government all the time. But there's a way to do it. There's a, you say, hey, look, we're against this law. We want to organize against this law. We want to vote against this law. We want to collect people who are energized to, to be against it. That's democracy. To say, hey, that's the law. I don't give a damn. I'm going to neutralize it. I'm not going to listen to your federal law. Well, that makes you, you know, you, you were traitors before, and it goes down that path again. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. The Republican Party's descent into complete madness reached a new depth this week. Seriously. This is this is not a joke. The, you know, whipped up by paranoid delusions of a one-world autocratic government. Senate Republicans yesterday killed an international treaty designed to help people with disabilities all across the planet. This is the UN-sponsored Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And it simply requires signatory nations to provide for their disabled populations the same way the 1990s Americans with Disability Act provides for American disabled populations. It would have required absolutely no changes to existing new law since, again, we already passed the Americans with Disabilities Act more than 20 years ago. 
Ratification of that treaty simply meant that the United States, like 126 other nations that have already approved the treaty, is saying, yes, we're on board with setting standards for the rest of the world to follow that are the same standards we already have when it comes to meeting the needs of the disabled. We Americans used to pride ourselves in setting moral examples for the rest of the world, which is why former President George W. Bush first signed the treaty in 2006 and why it was re-signed by President Obama in 2009. It just needed to get through the Senate. So former Republican Senator and presidential candidate Robert Dole, himself a disabled veteran of World War II and now in a wheelchair, championed the treaty. He was wheeled out of the Senate floor for the vote where he watched Senator John Kerry plead with his colleagues to not let Senator Bob Dole down. Remember, Dole is a Republican. The treaty had bipartisan support. John McCain, Dick Lugar, John Barrasso, they were, they were in favor of it. They're all Republicans. They got 61 votes in the Senate. But treaties require a two-thirds majority to be ratified. It's in the Constitution, so they were five votes short of passing. 38 Republican senators walked right past Bob Dole and his wheelchair, the former Republican candidate for president, walked right by him to cast a no vote. Why? Because they want to continue to pander to a paranoid minority of the Republican base that thinks the U.N. is secretly assembling a global government to destroy American sovereignty, throw mothers in The Hague, and condemn their disabled children to death. For example... Days before the vote, Rick Santorum penned an op-ed for the conservative birther website, WorldNet Daily, titled, This Treaty Crushes UN, U.S. Sovereignty, in which he attacked a specific provision in the treaty, Section 7, that reads, quote, In all actions concerning children with disabilities, the best interests of the child shall be a primary consideration, end quote. That's all it says. But this was really nefarious to the ever-paranoid Santorum who wrote in this World in a Daily piece. He says, in the case of our four-year-old daughter, Bella, who has trisomy 18, a condition that the medical literature says is incompatible with life, would her best interest be that she be allowed to die? Some would undoubtedly say so. End of quote. I don't think so, Rick. I mean, this is just like Sarah Palin's hysterical death panels during the Obamacare debate. Santorum is pushing for a no vote on the treaty because he's either genuinely believed that the U.N.'s one-world government wants to demand the sacrifice of his four-year-old daughter, or, in my opinion, far more likely, I don't think Rick Santorum's an idiot. You don't get where he is by being an idiot. I think he cynically wanted to scare the hell out of his base to help his fundraising. Utah Senator Mike Lee, another one of these right-wing crazies, echoed Rick Santorum. He, in fact, he led the opposition of the treaty on the floor of the Senate, calling this a march towards socialism. Now, he probably opposes the American with Disabilities Act, too. What? You're building a building and you have to put an elevator in it? Oh, we can't have that. It might cost a little extra money for the developer. Other opposing senators raised concerns that the treaty would prohibit disabled children from being homeschooled if homes aren't equipped with ramps and retrofitted to accommodate the disabled. This is silly. It's a nonsense argument. But to accommodate the paranoids, the Senate committee that approved the treaty even included specific language that would bar its use in civil court lawsuits. Again, not, a, not, not one single U.S. law would have changed if this treaty was ratified by the Senate. In fact, it had the potential to be very beneficial to disabled Americans who are traveling abroad, people like former Senator Dole, by giving them the same accommodations that they get in the United States when they're in a foreign country.
But ultimately, fear won. Motivated by this paranoia that this all-powerful United Nations, which actually has very little power, you know, is going to send their international police forces not to go after tyrants and despots guilty of war crimes, which, by the way, they don't even do that very well. Right? Bashir is still, a, still running uh, Sudan, North Sudan, even though he's been indicted as a war criminal. There's a warrant out for him. The UN's not going to send somebody in to take him out. But in Santorum's mind, you know, the, the UN wants to send their, their police after his four-year-old daughter or a homeschool teacher who hasn't installed a ramp on their front door. And so he killed the treaty. This should be an extraordinary teaching moment. In the face of this insanity, we Americans should ask ourselves, what happens when one of the two major political parties in the United States either completely loses its grip on reality or chooses to pander to a base that has, that's gone nuts? I mean, this is the same Republican Party that's currently hyping up another UN One World conspiracy known as Agenda 21, despite it simply calling on nations to promote more sustainable development practices. Republicans think it's a plot to push America, take Americans out of rural areas and shove them into the cities and outlaw golf courses. Right? There's no reality to that. But the Republicans are terrified of it anyway. And it's not nothing, anything new. I mean, you know, we used to be scared. Oh, but duck and cover. The Soviets are coming to get you. Al-Qaeda is going to take over the world. You know, reality has never played a real important role in Republican fear-mongering. It's, it's really time for the rational Republicans to step up and say, okay, here we are, we're rational Republicans, we're taking over, guys. Not for the crazies. Please. I'm speaking to the adults in the Republican Party who may be listening or watching. Please. their on-air analyst roles for the Fox News Channel. Uh, both Mr. Rove and Mr. Morris were not just operating as observers on the election or commentators on the election. They were both active participants in this election. Both men had their own super PACs invested in the outcome of the election. Media Matters took a look at the FEC filings for Mr. Morris's super PAC, which were released last week, and they found something strange. Here, check out Dick Morris's website again. If you get past the gun control nonsense, if you click through to dickmorris.com slash advertising and information, you can see there that if you would like to send emails to the rarefied strata of America who are um, people who believe things that Dick Morris says, you can pay to newsmax.com between 10 and $35 for each thousand names to get access to and use the Dick Morris email distribution list. It's got about a half million people on the list. 
The minimum order, they say, is the full list, which means it's wicked expensive to email Dick Morris fans with whatever it is you want to email them about. But if you look at the FEC filings for Dick Morris's super PAC that he was operating during this past election, his two largest expenditures in the weeks leading up to the election were a credit card processing company that was handling the logistics of people who wanted to give him money, and also Newsmax.com, where you can rent Dick Morris's email list. And that's where he spent his money marked as fundraising. So based on those reports to the FEC in terms of what Dick Morris was spending his money on that he was getting from people who he was sending these email blasts to, the folks at Media Matters surmised that, quote, a significant portion of the Super PAC's money likely went to renting Dick Morris's own email list, which is operated by Newsmax Media. So your money, in other words, goes to Dick Morris, who apparently then pays it to Newsmax to send emails, and then Newsmax maybe just pays it back to Dick Morris to pay for the email addresses to which they just sent all of his emails. Nice work if you can get it, right? What these financial reports seem to indicate is that donations to Dick Morris's super PAC substantially end up just going to Dick Morris, which he presumably uses to send more emails to get more money, which goes to Dick Morris. This is based on Media Matters' review of these FEC reports from the end of the past election. And this super PAC of his has been around for a couple of years. And maybe it doesn't always work like this. Maybe it's not always a scam. But this scammy-looking arrangement for the period right before the presidential election is coming to light right on the heels of a high-profile, eyebrow-raising, sudden and unexpected resignation at another conservative fundraising juggernaut. FreedomWorks. The Dick Army resignation from FreedomWorks seemed weird from the start, right, when David Korn and Andy Kroll at Mother Jones first broke the story a week ago. I mean, first of all, there was Dick Army's weird resignation letter that got leaked, demanding that his name and likeness not be used in any FreedomWorks materials. Subsequent, subsequent to that came the news that Mr. Army had arranged for an $8 million golden parachute for himself, provided by an influential Republican fundraiser which did not seem very grassrootsy at all for a supposedly grassroots group. He gets $8 million once he leaves. Subsequent to that emerged the details, or at least the allegation, of the relatively scammy reason that Mr. Army left the group. Politico.com reporting that the other recognizable guy at FreedomWorks besides Dick Army, a guy named Matt Kibbe, had allegedly used FreedomWorks staff and resources to write his book even though all the profits from the sale of the book were just going to him, going to Matt Kibbe. And so if you think about it, that means that anybody who was donating to FreedomWorks for their political organizing work or whatever, anybody donating to FreedomWorks was effectively paying for the staff time and the resources to produce a project that just personally profited one of the people who works there. A scam. It's like the Newt Gingrich direct mail scam, right? Where Newt Gingrich would give businesses fake awards, where what you won was the opportunity to give $5,000 to Newt Gingrich to meet him. Also, you would get a souvenir gavel. Congratulations to you. Where is your check for me? It's also like that scammy campaign where Mike Huckabee was appearing in the Repeal Obamacare Now ads. Repeal it now. You go to their website, and what do you see? It's now or never, and a giant button at the bottom of the screen, the screen that you can click to help fund the battle. And, and what do they want you to do in terms of helping to fund the battle? Well, they would prefer that you donate $2,500 to join the chairman's circle, which is also, I'm not making this up, called the Huckabee Special. And that will, in their own words, help keep Mike Huckabee on TV to repeal Obamacare. 
Will having Mike Huckabee on TV repeal Obamacare? I'm checking with the Constitution, but I don't think so. But Mike Huckabee would please like to stay on TV, if for no other reason than to keep asking for more of your money to help him stay on TV, asking for more money. It is maybe inevitable that somebody's going to try to turn impotent political rage and ignorance into personal financial gain. It has been happening as long as there have been snake, uh, there has been snake oil and, and hucksters, which is not the root word of Mr. Huckabee's name. I did check that. But, but, but in the case of Mr. Huckabee, right, this isn't just some con man off the street. I mean, Mike Huckabee, for whatever you think of him now, he, he came in second the last time the Republicans nominated somebody for president. In the 2008 election, Mike Huckabee essentially came in second to John McCain which is now the part where I tell you that the guy who came in second this year, the guy who came in second to Mitt Romney, where does he work now? He works at WorldNet Daily, which is admittedly hilarious because WorldNet Daily is a Mad Libs, choose your own adventure, free association, blank verse Obama conspiracy theory generator. Just plug in Muslim, gay, murder, Kenya, communist, and Michelle, and see what comes out. But in addition to being inadvertently hilarious, WorldNet Daily, is now home to the runner-up from this last year's Republican presidential nominating contest. And WorldNet Daily is also a scam. Rick Perlstein wrote a great piece that came out just before the election in The Baffler uh, about how WorldNet Daily and Dick Morris's pals at Newsmax are essentially just operating systems designed to feed the contact information for gullible and overexcited conservatives to people who can, be parted, who can, who can part them with their money. Right? And if you are a person who has long been struck by and fascinated by how similar the conservative be afraid direct mail that asks for money looks to the kind of direct mail that tries to scam your grandmother out of her savings, remember Fred Thompson and the reverse mortgage thing? Yeah. It is amazing to see, if you've been watching this over time, one of the amazing things about it is how persistent it is. It just doesn't go away. No matter what's going on in the election cycle, it doesn't go away. If you have any sort of conservative name for yourself, the odds are pretty good you're going to end up in some sort of scam designed to part gullible conservatives from their wallets. What might be new, though, is that after this last election, at least some folks on the right appear to finally be seeing this as a problem for the American right. Conservative Bill Kristol, writing for the upcoming issue of the Weekly Standard, says, quote, the conservative movement is in deep disarray. Reading about some conservative organizations and Republicans camp Republican campaigns these days, one is reminded of Eric Hoffer's remark, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. It may be that major parts of American conservatism have become such a racket that a kind of refounding of the movement as a cause is necessary. Nathan from Vancouver. Uh, this is regarding the history of gun rights episode and the gun dialogue in the show in general. A common theme on the show has been to discuss the Second Amendment as an anachronism that can be disregarded because it is from a different time than our own. This argument sounds familiar, as we were supposed to disregard our other rights for the war on terror. Ostensibly, 9-11 made most of the Bill of Rights obsolete, and we now live in a different time. As caller Allen admits, an amendment to supersede the Second Amendment is unlikely to pass using that anachronistic tool that we call democracy. The First Amendment, by the way, was written by a slave owner named Thomas Jefferson. 
in regards to Tom Hartman, but we still respect the First Amendment in this current form, despite the stains on its author's character. The real vestigial organ of slavery in the Constitution, one that is being put to use today to disenfranchise citizens, is the Electoral College. Rachel Maddow has done excellent reporting on this issue. The point that other parts of the Bill of Rights are being eroded is not an argument for letting the Second Amendment be eroded right along with them. Bill Mayer was spot on if you turn the premise on its head and ask the left in the media why we are so eager to give up on the last rights that have not yet been taken away from us. Instead, we get the yes-and method of trying to add restrictions to lawful gun ownership. Banning some of the most popular firearms in the country is hardly reasonable. The words common sense are betrayed by commentators constantly admitting a lack of understanding of guns and self-defense. If you don't know what you're talking about, there isn't a common sense of anything. Is there maybe a little bit of research is in order before making specific policy proposals? I would prefer to determine the capacity of my magazine using my needs and my training, not some number pulled out of thin air by someone who is admittedly operating on pure prejudice and ignorance. These are proposals from people who simply dislike guns and want them to go away. We don't expect a women's health clinic proposal from Todd Aiken to be truly about making abortion safer. He wants abortions to go away, so it is safe to assume he is just adding obstacles under the guise of making it safer. Many proposed reforms are also regressive. As gun insurance, call Geico today for a quote on your rights, and constant background check fees for ammunition make owning and maintaining proficiency with a gun arbitrarily cost prohibitive for most people or that protecting rich people and their property are often deemed valid reasons for exemptions to gun restrictions, but protecting oneself and one's family are not, or that the guns will dry up someday is of little comfort to a person who is left unarmed in a dangerous neighborhood in which criminal violence stubbornly refuses to dry up, even if guns someday might. I respect proposals that are aimed at reducing the likelihood of a firearm getting into the hands of a criminal. However, I oppose proposals that aim to restrict gun ownership for people who have the right to bear arms. Thank you, Jay. Bye. Hey, Jay, this is Sean from Dallas. I have a big complaint with the polygamous thing. Um, the, the idea that, that polygamy to homosexuality is even comparable, the difference is you can quote studies which, which prove homosexuality you know, is the decline of a family, so on and so forth, but polygamy actually is because what you have is a single man amassing multiple wives, usually wealth, and everything else through one central source. And what it leaves for the others is, is high crime rates, high rape rates, overall sexual assault of every variation, and, and it actually causes a decline in the society in which it happens. Um, we don't see that with homosexuality, um, especially the straight man. I can't really argue it as, as, as something that I feel personally, um, but, but you can argue there is a difference. That's it. Keep up the good work. Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver, and I'm calling about the comments on polygamy in the, uh, the gay rights episode. Uh, I just wanted to, to mention that, that I believe that coming up with a better definition of the specifically state interest features of marriage are important. And one of the arguments that I think argues against having multiple marriage is that some states provide immunity for the spouse to testify against the other spouse and so on and so forth. And so in some of these cases to say that, you know, I can have 27 spouses is in, is a problematic in our current system, not just for that reason. A whole gang of criminals can, can basically get immunity from having to 
being compelled to prosecute, uh, to testify against each other, but also things like, you know, the way that we do health insurance right now makes that problematic. If we had single payer, it wouldn't be an issue, but, but, you know, I go to my employer and then I'm like, oh, by the way, I have 27 spouses that are going to be on my, on my, uh, health insurance. So we have to define a little bit better, perhaps, that you have this one person that the state recognizes as your complete partner and then maybe the rest of them, we decide what other, you know, uh, responsibilities, privileges, and immunities we would say would apply to a polygamist type situation. In the meantime, you can live with as many people as you want. You can have 12 people in your bed with you. That's fine. You know, I, I couldn't care less. But, but when it comes to things like sharing benefits, ben benefactors for pensions if you die, Social Security, things like that, there are some issues that would need to be worked out, and that would be a fascinating discussion that I think should take place. Thank you, Jay. Bye. Hi, Jay. This is just Ronald in Baltimore. Um, go Ravens, by the way. I heard the Tom Hartman clip from the gun control episode in which he rather weakly defended gay marriage against the slippery slope argument that this could lead to legitimizing or legalizing polygamy. I heard your challenge for better rebuttals in the subsequent episode, and I'd like to take a crack at it. I think Tom Hartman missed the opportunity to reverse the case on his conservative interlocutor. What makes marriage between one man and one woman legitimate? It isn't just history, tradition, or reproduction. It's social stability and, in modern times, legal equality, more or less, between the parties. The same can be said for gay marriage. It's more or less equal between the parties and tends towards social stability. Like heterosexual marriage, as far as we've been able to tell, it works. The same cannot be said for polygamy, especially of polygyny, which is one man, many wives. Multiple marriage is inherently unequal. It promotes social instability, at the very least, complicating probate, inheritance, and property rights. And unlike heterosexual or gay marriage, in the main, it doesn't work. At least, it's not fair and balanced for all parties concerned. Just my thought. Love the debate on this issue, and of course, I love the show. Keep up the good work. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So just now, just as I was sitting down, I was preparing some remarks for the show, I received the perfect email to read in lieu of my comments. Uh, this person actually says you know, everything I was going to say and more, and it comes from a better source than if I were to just say it myself. So I'm going to get to that in a minute. And so the only thing I'm going to say, you know, from, from my own thoughts on this is to give a little bit of context on, on my thoughts on polygamy. Essentially every response I got talked about polygamy in the context of the traditional idea of, you know, Mormons, one man, several women, uh, women being oppressed and so on. And that is absolutely natural. There's no reasonable reason to expect for the average American to, to think of anything other than that when talking about polygamy. But just, it just so happens, this is totally true, totally honest, that is literally not what I was thinking of when I made those original comments. I had, you know, a personal friend of mine is uh, interested at least in pursuing polyamorous relationships, you know, relationships with multiple people, and the natural extension of that would be polygamy. And, you know, and this is definitely not uh, a religious person, definitely not a Mormon person. And, you know, and, and it would not necessarily go down 
uh, as, as those traditional relationships do with one man and multiple women. It could be the other way around and so on and so on. So that, that's actually what I had in the back of my mind. I don't think that changes anything about the argument that I laid out, but it is sort of helpful context that it, you know, maybe it would have been good if I had laid that out earlier. Apologies. So anyways, onto this email, just pretend that, you know, instead of me making comments, I'm just reading this because I agree with uh, everything written in it. So this email says, Hi, Jay. I just wanted to drop you a note and thank you for your thoughts regarding the Tom Hartman clip where he, as you aptly put it, painted himself into a corner. I concur with your thoughts on Tom's response to his guest. Brief bit of info. I am a queer gender refusenik raised female and I am married to a trans woman and we also happen to be polyamorous. That is, we are able to pursue other romantic, emotional, and physical relationships provided that all parties are okay with it. To be fair, my wife and I are incredibly lazy when it comes to pursuing other romantic partners, but such is life right now. I can say that there are most certainly parallels with regards to the pursuit of LGBTQQ rights and the rights of polyamorous peoples to not have to worry about being fired from jobs, lose custody of their children, and be shunned by friends and family simply because people are disturbed by the actions taken by freely consenting responsible adults. Alas, I can already hear the cries of, it will lead to incestuous marriages, marriages with animals, marriages to cars. It is just as frustrating and heartbreaking as hearing it in terms of marriage equality between same-sex couples. So, while I am out about being queer, I remain closeted about being a trans spouse in a poly relationship. In closing, my sense is that the current cultural view of polyamorous relationships is on par with our culture's view of lesbians and gays 20 years ago. Sadly, bisexual, pansexual, trans, and non-gender conforming peoples have still fallen by the wayside. My hope is that we'll eventually stop passing judgment on the actions of consenting adults and focus more on how we positively impact the world. Keep up the good work, Jay. My wife and I love the podcast. P.S. We didn't bother with engagement rings. Our wedding rings are simple titanium bands. We agreed that the symbol of strength was more worthwhile than financially supporting gem mining. So there you go. The number again to leave a comment, 206-202-3410. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show, especially uh, by becoming members or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought,